Watson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So the Brewers lost yesterday uh, and and had a pretty underwhelming series against the Dodgers altogether. They lost 6-5 to five yesterday to close out the series. But I don't necessarily want to focus on the loss right away. I don't want to be negative right away. We'll get into kind of the X's and O's and the details that, uh, that made everything uh, and factored into the loss yesterday. We have time for that. I want to start with something a little different today. We are going to talk Brewers, uh, and we'll talk Bucks coming up later on in the show. They go for a sweep of the Pistons, uh, which would put them into the second round of the playoffs later tonight. That came on WK2I, so we'll talk about that soon enough. I wanted to start with this. I, I know the Brewers lost yesterday. And it was a frustrating game. Josh Hader gave up a bomb, and, and Christian Yelich was robbed of a bomb. And, and you would have liked to see it done differently. Yesterday's game, when I look back at the 2019 Brewers season, if the Brewers miss the playoffs, if the Brewers make the World Series, if the Brewers win the World Series, yesterday's game, for me, will probably go down as one of the more memorable games of the season. You think back to last year, right? There are a lot of memorable games. You can think of Manny Pena's home run day or, or in the last couple of years, you can think of that Manny Pena Mother's Day game, the Domingo Santana Sunday games where he was always hitting the ball on Sunday. And then, of course, you think of game 163 uh, or Jesus Aguilar's tear and, and breaking up the no-hitter against the Cardinals and then walking it off against the Cardinals one inning later or two innings later, whatever it was. There's a lot of memorable games, right? And in a 162-game season, one game doesn't mean a whole lot by itself. Now, it's easy to get to the end of the year and say, well, if you had just won one more game, you'd be in the playoffs. But in a 162-game season, it's hard to uh, make that big of a deal out of just one game. Yesterday's game is going to stick with me for a while, and maybe some of you are in the same boat. I want to revisit something we talked about last fall. Uh, when the Brewers actually made the playoffs. And, and I was on this very show. The Wisco Sports Show at the time was very, very young. We started last August. I was excited. We were all loving the Brewers and excited because it was the first time since 2011 that they were going to make the postseason. Only the third time in my life that they were going to make the postseason as a division champ or as a wild card. Didn't matter. And something that I talked about and something that I loved had to do with Craig Council's press conference answer after they made the postseason. Uh, he, he talked about what the win meant and, and who it meant the most to. And I always come back to this soundbite. So let's check it out one last time. This is from last fall. You're happy for, you know, for Bob Euchre, for Mark Antanasio, for the, you know, the dude that sit next to the dugout every day, the couple in the upper deck, the, the people at the retirement community that, that got three good hours every night of Brewer baseball. You're happy that you're giving them something special and, and hopefully we give them a special October. That's one of my favorite bits of an interview from any athlete, from any coach, from any manager, because I think it's so true. It's so genuine, right? The Brewers aren't the Red Sox. The Brewers aren't the Yankees. It's not championship or bust. It's not millions and millions and millions of dollars on the payroll. It's a small market team. We like to tailgate. We like to listen to the game. And last fall, I remember talking about how what makes Brewers baseball special, and that is listening to Bob Euchre while mowing the lawn on a Saturday afternoon or sitting out by a bonfire on a Friday night with your family and listening to the game or watching uh, the game while you're having a family gathering. It's a little bit different. The Brewers are very, very unique, much different than the Packers, much different from the Bucks. 
And yesterday I had a little experience about that. I wanted to share with you. Yesterday was obviously Easter Sunday. I hope you did have a good holiday weekend. The weather was beautiful. Hope you got to see friends and family. Uh, I was actually home over the weekend, uh, which for me is up in Menominee, Wisconsin. If you've never been, quaint little town uh, just outside of Eau Claire of about 15, 16,000 people. Uh, and we had our Easter gathering yesterday uh, at my aunt and uncle's house. So it was the cousins, the aunts and uncles, mom, dad, grandma, grandma you know, all the all the extended relatives. And we were out on the patio. We were listening to Bob Euchre on the radio. And then we went in to, to, to dish up. We got the ham, got the turkey, got the green bean casserole, got the cheesy potatoes, you know, all the family recipes, all the traditions that we have every year. And then my family's gathered around the TV, watching the Brewer game, talking about Eric Thames, talking about Christian Yelich, people who who don't get together that often, right? Every couple of months for holidays, we get together. Yesterday, gathered around the, the TV or gathered around the radio outside uh, on the patio, listening to Bob Euchre while visiting, while catching up. And, and yesterday, it struck me there was a moment where I was talking to my dad. I was talking to a couple of my uncles and aunts and cousins who are older than me, Thinking back to the Easter game in 1987, uh, where they had the the two home runs in the bottom of the ninth to walk it off, well, to tie it and then to walk it off, to go to 12-0. and 0. And thinking back about those memories, and let's be real, back in 87 on that Easter Sunday was probably a, a very similar scene to yesterday. Family was together eating turkey, eating ham, watching the Brewers or listening to Bob Euchre while spending time with friends and family. It was cool yesterday. That's going to be a memorable game, and... and I know we talk a lot about X's nose. We talk about young pitchers versus veteran pitchers and home runs and launch angle and the bullpen and are the Brewers going to fix this? Are they going to improve here? We talk a lot about that. Yesterday, I had to remind myself and I had to just sit back and say, we got to enjoy this. I know the Brewers lost. But yesterday, I found myself in a really cool spot sitting out in the sunshine with members of my family who I no longer get to see that often. Right? Cousins, I don't see that often. We're all off doing our own thing. And yesterday... Uh, for a couple of hours, the Brewers brought us together, and I was reminded of what Craig Council had to say last fall. You know, you, you feel good for the older couple who who sits up in the upper deck and, and the couple in the retirement home who just is looking for three hours of, of solid entertainment in their Brewer game each and every night. And yesterday, I felt that a little bit. I know the Brewers lost. I know it was a frustrating game. I know Josh Hader gave up a bomb, and, and Christian Yelich had one taken away from him. Like, it was a frustrating game. But yesterday... I think that's going to be one of my more memorable Brewer games from the year. And I hope, despite the loss, despite the frustration, that we can appreciate uh, the Brewers for what they are and what they were to my family yesterday. Maybe you had a similar experience. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Again Sports. We're going to talk Brewers. Um, And it's funny because we were referencing that 1987 team, Team Streak. And obviously, I wasn't alive. I'm not going to pretend uh, that I saw this in person, saw this live, right? Uh, the Easter game of 87, uh, where they walked it off on Easter Sunday. And then I, I believe, and I'm going to get nailed for not knowing this, that they that they ended that streak at 13-0. Uh, and I'm pretty sure on that. Like I said, I wasn't alive. I learned about this yesterday, which was part of what made this game so cool uh, and the gathering so cool and memorable for me yesterday. We were, te- we were telling stories about 1987. I was, I was listening. Uh, and then, of course, since 1987, the Brewers have only made the postseason a handful of times. I was born in 1998, uh, so I can think about 2008, I can think about 2011, then, of course, 2018 last year. And as long as the Brewers have been around, and, and in my opinion, from what I've seen in my lifetime, not a whole lot has changed since 1987. Uh, the Brewers do struggle to make the playoffs. It is the nature of their market. Now, hopefully, you, they're contending for the next couple of years. They're going to be back in the playoffs. They're going to be back in the hunt. But the Brewers, ever since I can remember in my lifetime, and including the two playoff teams, 
This Brewers team has always had the same issues. Uh, their starting pitching is never incredible. Sometimes they'll get that great arm. You know, they got CC Sabathia, they got Zach Greinke, but they can't really home grow their pitchers for whatever reason. And they rely on the home run way too much. They can't play small ball. They leave a lot of runners on base, leaving runners in scoring position. So the Brewers have had the same issues basically my lifetime. And, you know, for all I know, all the way back to 1987, uh, to when the Brewers were <laughs> were walking it off and going 12-0 and on Easter Sunday at County Stadium. I, I don't think a whole lot's changed. We saw the same issues yesterday. We actually saw it throughout the entire Dodgers series. So that's what I want to get into. I, getting a little sentimental, uh, getting into our our... our family and Easter memories, but we do have to talk Brewers because they did have an ugly series against the Dodgers. Don't get me wrong. All the criticism that we've had of the Brewers last week and that we are uh, no doubt going to have this week if they continue to to lose more games than they win. We got to keep in mind, they've played the Dodgers twice. They're about to play the Cardinals again. Like This is a rough stretch of schedule, especially when you're trying to get a couple players out of a slump at the plate. Jesus Aguilar, Travis Shaw, especially when you're trying to Warm up these young arms and get them uh, on a roll. Brandon Woodruff and and Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta. This has been a murderer's row to try to accomplish some of those goals. So when we talk about the struggles, when we talk about the Brewers' issues, let's keep that in the back of our mind. But there's a couple things we got to talk about. And and in my lifetime, those things have never changed. Struggling at starting pitching and relying way too much on the home runs. So whether they won or lost, whether you had a wonderful Easter with your family and friends yesterday and hopefully made some memories, maybe revolving around the Brewer game, maybe not, those issues remain, the home runs and the starting pitching. So let's talk about it. The Wisco Sports Show, back in a moment. You're listening to WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Play It Again Sports. You're listening to WKTY. We're talking brewers. Uh, we got some feel-good stuff out of the way with. Uh, enjoying my Easter Sunday yesterday. Watching the brewers with my family. Win or lose, it was a great weekend and, and a great time. Made some memories. So I hope you uh, had a similar experience. Uh, like I said, win or lose. They fell yesterday 6-5. to five, And it was in a very uh, very disappointing and, and, a, and a big letdown fashion 6-5 to five yesterday. They had a 3-4 and four homestand. And like I said, they're, they're playing some really tough teams right now. A, a long skid against the Cardinals and the Dodgers. Uh, and then the Mets are going to be coming in for a couple of games before too long. So the Brewers are running a murderer's row right now compared to teams like the Cubs. Uh, who have been able to make up a little ground and kind of fix some of their woes, get some of their hitters hitting better, get some of their pitchers pitching better against teams like the Marlins, against teams like the Diamondbacks, uh, who are near the bottom of the league in a lot of categories. So so the Cubs have had an opportunity to get right while the Brewers have been challenged. I'm not Look, I'm not saying it's fair or unfair. Everybody goes through difficult stretches. But when we criticize the Brewers, when we complain, or, or when we talk about their problems, I think we do need to keep that in mind. We were talking about the 1987 team, right? Team streak where they walked it off on Easter Sunday, coming from behind at County Stadium. It was an awesome scene. We were talking about that at my family gathering yesterday. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, it's been since 1987, and the Brewers still have the same issues, at least in my lifetime. I was born in 1998, so I didn't miss much or so I have been told. So I think from about 1998 to 2005, I do remember 2008 uh, and, and the first playoff run of my lifetime, and then, of course, 2011 as well, and last year, 2018. But even those playoff teams, even the best Brewers teams of my lifetime have had the same issues. They have not been able to cultivate and mature and develop starting pitching from within, from their own system, right? 
and they have always relied way too much on the home run ball. There was a promo uh, a couple of a couple of minutes ago. Dave Carney's voice, you heard it, Bethauser Wealth Management. Dave says you can't be swinging for a home run every time. It takes strategy. It takes small ball and a great skipper. And I thought, man, how how perfect is that? Because the Brewers is as exciting and as fun as they are to watch, and I think as much meat as they have in their batting lineup, they rely way too damn much on the home runs. Way, 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 way too much. For example, yesterday, and I and I actually did go back and look at this, and the more that I dug, the more that I researched, the more I was blown away because I didn't think it was to this extent that the Brewers were relying on the home run. Yesterday, they lost 6-5, to five, and the Brewers got all of their runs courtesy of home runs. They didn't score until the 5th, Lorenzo Cain's two-run home run, and then Eric Thames hit a three-run home run in the bottom of the eighth inning to tie it, which at that point put the game in position to become a classic, right? I was like, here we go. We're going to have an Easter. I'll always remember this game. They're going to come from behind and win it on Easter. You can think back to 1987. I was here with my family eating ham, eating turkey. Well, it didn't turn out that way. The Brewers getting all five of their runs via the home run yesterday. No RBIs on a double, on a single, triple, a bunt, anything else. A wild pitch, all home runs. You go back to the previous day on Saturday night when they won 5-0. to zero. Yelich hitting a home run in the third. Yelich hitting a home run in the sixth. Yelich being walked in the seventh to put on Ryan Braun in the batting box, and then he hit a three-run bomb. So the Brewers getting all five of their runs on Saturday via the home run. You go back another day, Brewers losing to the Dodgers 5-3. to three. How'd they get their runs? Well, okay, Yelich hitting a home run in the first inning. Thames hitting a home run in the eighth inning. That was it. That's it. Last three games, all the runs coming courtesy of the home run. Now, obviously, when Ryan Braun hits a home run, well, we have some base runners. Now we're now we're making hay, right? When there's base runners on, it's a little bit different. The Brewers have not been hitting consistently. They haven't been putting together innings where you feel, okay, now the pitcher's in it, right? Now you're making this pitcher throw. Now he's stressing. You got runners all over the base paths, right? Maybe you're stealing some bases. You're trying to advance on, on a fly ball, on a, on a ground ball, fielder's choice type of thing. No, there's a, there's no traffic. It's playing for the big swing, playing for the big inning. Even when Eric Thames came in to hit yesterday and he ended up hitting the home run, I I had enthusiasm that he might get a hold of one, but it felt like in the stadium and, and in my living room where we were watching the game with my family yesterday, it felt like it was a home run or bust type at bat, right? That Eric Thames was up there to tie this thing with one swing of the bat, and if not, essentially the Brewers were going to lose. It had gotten to that point in the game uh, in the bottom of the eighth. And that's great that he came through. It's great that he was able to cash in and and swing big and and crush a home run to center off of Kenley Jansen, but you can't always rely on that. What if Christian Yelich was cold? What if Christian Yelich wasn't hitting like he is hitting right now? The Brewers, man, oh man, are 13 and 10. They'd probably be under 500. They would definitely be under 500 without Christian Yelich. They're always relying on the home run. Look, I, I could go back past the Dodgers series. I could go back a week ago and we would see a lot of the same. The Brewers scoring a majority of their runs on home runs. Look, home runs are not bad. They're not... Home runs aren't bad in and of themselves. You want home runs to be icing on the cake. Right? If you're making a a, a cake that is the Brewers' offense, right, that is the Brewers' batting order, the flower would be singles. You, you always want the ball to be in play, right? Maybe add a little bit of sugar to, to the cake mix, right? 
Okay, well, yeah, you get a double every once in a while, and in a triple, maybe you put some some little candies on there. The triples are very rare, and then and then the icing is the home runs. You you build up a base with singles, doubles, putting the ball in play, and then the icing on the cake when you do get it, because you can eat cake without icing, right? There's good cakes that don't have any frosting on them. But then when you add the icing, oh man, it's over. Now your offense is clicking, right? And I think the Dodgers are a great example. Yesterday, they score six runs. Now they they hit some homers. Don't get me wrong. Jock Peterson example. Let off the first inning with a homer. No base runners. He got a hold of one. But then Bellinger hit behind him and knocked in Corey Seager via the home run. And then you look in the second inning. Corey Seager doubled in Jock Peterson. And then Bellinger hit a, hit a single, uh, which scored another run. Getting home runs or getting runs all sorts of ways. Not just through the home runs. The Brewers need to get better at that. I don't know the solution. I don't know if it's something in the water, something in the air in Milwaukee. I'm starting to think that, right? Because it's been this way my entire lifetime. The Brewers need to find ways. Here I go. I'm going to use that dirty word. Brewers need to find ways to manufacture runs when their offense isn't clicking. And when their starting pitching has been as poor as it is at times and at stretches, during stretches, you need a little bit more stable. You need a little bit more consistent and reliable form of offense. And this weekend, was a, it was a dictionary definition of the Brewers' offense in my lifetime, all 21 years. Home run or bust. Yesterday, losing 6-5. Now, look, the Brewers have so many good hitters in their lineup. There just needs to be more base runners. There needs to be more activity. Needs to be more singles, doubles. Don't go all or nothing in on the home run. And, and look, they did that with Eric Thames yesterday, and it worked out great. But nine times out of ten, that's not going to be the case. Brewers need to find a way to manufacture more consistent offense. Now, we're talking about the Brewers have been the same my lifetime. They've always relied on the home run ball, left runners on base, left ducks on the pond, runners in scoring position. That's always been the case. But the Brewers have never been able to to groom and to mature and to develop starting pitching, elite-level starting pitching out of their farm system, right? Uh, uh, Not Freddie Peralta, but the last Willie Peralta. right? He was supposed to be the next big thing, and he flashed at times, right? Had a complete game here and there. And when, when he was on, he was on because his fastball had so much zip. He's going to be the next big arm for this Brewers team. And what happened? He not only fell out of the starting rotation, he can even be a reliable bullpen arm. And now we sit at, at a new era, a new day in the organization with David Stearns running things and Craig Council and new management, both at the top and down in the dugout. It's a new day, right? Well, this is a proving year for the Brewers that they can actually develop young pitchers because they have three. They don't have to hit on all three. But damn, they got a hit on at least one or two. Corbin Burns, who has been talked about as the best pitching prospect to ever come through the Brewers system. He cannot turn into Freddie Peralta, or or, or, uh, Willie Peralta, excuse me. Freddie Peralta, I think, is very, very talented. There's just something about his arm, something about the way that he pitches. Although he's not very refined, he's very raw, and he struggles with command, and, and he struggles with consistency, but the talent is there. The Brewers need to find a way to make that work. Brandon Woodruff it has shown flashes at times, especially to do it in huge moments like he did last year. But yesterday, has a rough outing to start. He eventually calms down. But when you say, well, he calmed down, give him credit. Well, that, that you can't always give him credit if the Brewers are down 5-0, 6-0, right? And that is a mark of a young pitcher often going to struggle right away, and maybe they settle down, maybe they don't. The bottom line is the, the Brewers, if they want to, contend for a playoff spot and, and try to get back to the NLCS or even go one step further and get into the World Series. They, they can't be falling behind 4-0 after one inning or, or 5-0 after two innings. You can't play that way. Even if your starting arm does settle down and go into the sixth, which Brandon Woodruff did yesterday, you just can't have it. And that is a mark of young, immature pitching. The Brewers have to develop that. 
They have to refine that. Because if the Brewers fail to get a consistent, I'm not even going to say elite, if they fail to get a consistent starter, a reliable starter out of Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta, and they go 0 for 3, man, oh man, it's a, it's a bad look. And it's, it's the same old Brewers. I don't want to use that like it's a slang because I love the Brewers. They've been fun to watch. They've given me a lot of joy and entertainment over my life. But there's some things they've just never been able to figure out. They can't cultivate their own starting pitching. They rely way too much on the home run ball. And this year they have a golden opportunity with an exciting team and an energized fan base and a general manager who you think is going to lead this team for a long time and has proven that he can put together a team. And he is not Doug Melvin. He's not the GMs of old. He is the new day for the Brewers franchise. And you have this perfect opportunity of three elite level arms who you've cultivated through your farm system and now they're ready to pop. Now they're ready to bloom you can't mess it up. You got to see this through because I, we saw it with Willie Peralta. I, I'm not willing to, to to go through this again. Taylor Youngman. Whatever happened to him, right? We can go up and down the list of Brewer starters who we thought were going to be the next big thing and just never really panned out. They have three chances in the starting rotation right now, at least when Corbin Burns gets back and, and Freddie Peralta gets healthy. They need to hit on at least one, preferably two. I mean, you'd love all three, but I just don't know if that's realistic. Brewers need to prove it. This is a proving year for their starting pitching and then their development program because they have three really good arms. Don't mess them up. Because those two problems, as much as I love the Brewers and as talented as that lineup is, which I think it is, you're not going to have consistent extended success in the playoffs if you're always relying on the home run ball. And you can never get your starting pitchers in the right spot. Last year, they were able to to make up for that a little bit because their bullpen was not elite. Their bullpen was incredible. And Christian Yelich powered that team for the second half of the year. But when he cooled off even a, a modicum in the playoffs, they were exposed. They couldn't score runs. Two problems. The Brewers have months to fix it before it really gets into crunch time and the division race heats up. Fix your starting pitching. Fix your offense so it's not relying on the home run ball. And now all of a sudden, we got a division race. We got a Brewers team that could do some things in the playoffs and and try to recreate, if not go farther, uh, than this team did last year. Speaking of doing things that have not been done, the Bucs are trying to win their first playoff series since 2001. Game four is tonight. They're up 3-0. That game's going to be here on WK2I. I got some thoughts. Let's talk Bucs-Pistons. Look, I I think the Bucs are going to run away with it tonight. I think the Bucs are going to blow them out and they're going to sweep. But there are some interesting details I want to talk about as we get ready for tonight's game. We'll talk Bucks and hopefully their first playoff series win since 2011. That coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports right here on WKTY. <laughs> Listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM, streaming live at WKTYsports.com as well. Hope you're having an awesome start to your week. We've been talking Brewers baseball. Look, it was a tough homestand, and as concerning as some of the struggles are with their starting pitching and with their offense, maybe let's keep in mind, and maybe I need to remind myself more than anyone else, because I come on here and complain, and I come on here and be critical, uh, that they've been playing the Dodgers. They've been playing the Cardinals. They have the Mets coming up. Like, Can we get some of the Miami Marlins? Can we get some of the Arizona Diamondbacks? When can we get a little slice of that? I, I'm looking forward to that series. Hopefully it can be a, a get-right time. Although if the, the Brewers can get right against the St. Louis Cardinals, more power to them. Uh, the five-star telecom talking text line is open if you want to join the show. 608-796-2558. It's also always wide open on Twitter anytime at Keystroker Grant, at WKTY. Reach out 
uh, and we can have a conversation. I want to talk Bucks because I, I I don't know if we appreciate this enough because the Bucks won 60 games and they were the number one seed and, and it's almost become second nature that the Bucks are just elite. The Bucks are just very, very good. And it's almost like I said, we've become numb to it. Well, the Bucks won again. Yeah, they won by 20. All right, good. Even in the postseason. It, it feels to me as though the postseason hasn't even started yet. Because the Detroit Pistons, through no fault of their own, really, are just that much worse than the Bucks. Somebody's got to be the eight seed, right? And they just almost got unlucky. I, I would rather be the nine seed and miss the playoffs than get embarrassed and swept uh, in the first round by four games. Milwaukee's been absolutely giving it to them. I, I look, they're going to sweep tonight. Like I don't want to spoil. I'm going to watch the game. I can't wait. They're going to sweep tonight. I, I was talking to a friend earlier this week, and she asked me, "Do you think the Bucks are going to sweep?" Or, or do you think uh, you think we're actually going to have an extra game? Do you think the Pistons are actually going to get one? And this was on uh, on Sunday, uh, Saturday. Excuse me. I said, look, look. If the if the Bucks are going to lose, I thought Saturday was the night because although the Pistons are down 0-2 and they lost both games at Pfizer Farm, you're not supposed to win on the road in the playoffs. Like the, the Pistons weren't expected to go into Milwaukee and win. If you can steal a game, that's great. They they call it stealing. Right. If the if the lower seed wins a game on the road, they say, oh, they were able to steal a game. Right. They were able to steal one on the road. The fact that it's called a steal and that's the terminology that's used tells you all you need to know. Oh, they 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 merged victorious. They won. No, they stole a game because it was a game that was not theirs to have. Right. It belonged to the Bucks. It belonged to the higher seed. The Pistons weren't able to win a game at Pfizer Forum. But that being said. It's a seven-game series, and, and what does everybody say? How many times have we heard this, right? The, the series really doesn't get interesting until the home team loses. So the Pistons had all the chance in the world. I thought if there was a night where the Pistons were going to win, uh, and I thought that if this series went more than four games, it would go five at the very most, that it was going to be Saturday night. Coming back to Detroit, you were going to have your home crowd as excited as possible when that ball tipped off. And, and Detroit played well in the first half, and they, they hit some shots, and they did some good things, and Blake Griffin's back. But ultimately, it just didn't matter. The Bucks are so much better, and they started to run away with it in the third quarter, like all teams do. Uh, that, like all good teams do, they adjust, they react, they adapt at halftime, and they come out uh, and they stomp down, and they ended up winning uh, by double digits once again. Blake Griffin or not, the Bucks are just that much better. I thought that if there was a game to be had for the Pistons, it would be on Saturday. And when the Bucks emerged on Saturday victorious, uh, I said, "Yeah, it's done." Because why would Pistons fans show up tonight and be even louder? Why would the the players be even more excited or more hyped tonight? Saturday was the night. Now, if they were able to win Saturday, you go into tonight at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, thinking, man, we win tonight. This series is going back to Milwaukee tied up, and we're back to square one, meaning, all right, first to win three games. Now, if the Pistons steal game game six or, or game five, excuse me, look out because this is because this is a legit series the, the Pistons could actually pull this off well they didn't get the win on Saturday which means they fall behind zero to three and, and not one to two that's a, a very big difference uh look the Pistons are done I, I can't imagine the crowd's going to be very hyped past the first couple of minutes tonight why would they be or the Pistons are just that much worse I thought if there was a game the Pistons were going to win it was Saturday and, and I think tonight is just going to be more of a little asterisk in yeah they had to play this game it, it was a formality uh, they had to do it, but th- this game was over on Saturday night. It's just such a mismatch. The Bucks are so much better, and it became apparent to me on Saturday when Blake Griffin returned, and he was balling out. He, I don't remember how many points he had. It doesn't matter. I didn't even pull it up because I don't care. Blake Griffin had twenty plus points. He was doing. He was made a couple of great passes. He was distributing. He was doing a lot of great things, and you could tell he was locked in. Right, he had that intense face. He was staring down everybody. You know, he'd have a bucket and then he'd get back and and lower down and and put on that intense face. And the Bucks are 
going to win by 15. Bucks are going to win by 20, right? Blake Griffin was acting like Russell Westbrook, and then Russell Westbrook was taking a ton of heat last night because he played poorly, shot way too many times, was not efficient, right? Hurt his team, but the one or two shots he would hit here and there, he would react with a, with a fist bump or a yell, and then he would stare down the opposition bench, right? Just intense. Well, that was Blake Griffin on Saturday, but it did not matter. I, I thought this was a great piece of perspective. I actually saved this. Uh, this is a tweet from April 14th. Okay, uh, a couple of days ago, and this was before Blake Griffin made his return. Uh, Kane Pittman, who covers the Bucks, uh, he's actually from Australia. He's a newer member to the Bucks beat, tweeted this out, harkening back to the regular season. From the regular season, Blake Griffin averaged 24, 8, and 7. 24 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, which is excellent uh, in four games against the Bucks during the regular season. In other words, Blake Griffin was tremendous against the Bucks. Now, I don't necessarily want to say, well, the Bucs didn't have an answer. The Bucs couldn't guard him because you can allow one player to score 24, 8, and 7 uh, and still win games. Don't get me wrong. Blake Griffin averaged 24 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists against the Bucs in the regular season. And the Bucs won all four of those games by an average of 14 and a half points, which is, which is a big margin to, to average, right? The Bucs could have won one game by 20, but you'd think... Every once in a while, well, the Pistons are going to make it a game in Detroit, right? Or somebody's going to, Blake Griffin's going to go off, you know, for 30, 10, and 8. But they they averaged all four wins in the regular season. They swept the Pistons 14 and a half points. And that statistic jumped out to me and said, well, look, Blake Griffin's back. Yeah, he's had success against the Bucks, Not only scoring and rebounding, but he's, he's a good distributor as well. And I think now that Blake Griffin is in Detroit, he's very underrated. I think he's actually had one of the better seasons of all the players in the Eastern Conference. It just doesn't matter. It does not matter. The Bucs are that much better. Because even with Blake Griffin's impressive averages and stat lines over the course of the regular season, the Bucs still swept him. And they averaged winning uh, by not only double digits, but by almost 15 points per game. It just doesn't matter. It does not matter. And I was watching on Saturday night, and Blake Griffin was just more of an annoyance than anything else. Because he would make one play here or there, and he would give that intense look. He would give a fist bump. He'd stare down a player. It's like, man, what are you doing? It's, it would be like me It would be like me going to a middle school back basketball practice. Little sixth graders running around. It would be the equivalent of me every once in a while running up and swatting a shot. Right? Or, or just hip-checking one of these kids as, as I, I can't dunk. As I score a layup over them, right? And then staring down the crowd, staring down the team. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter. Individual stats don't matter. Blake Griffin, 24-8-7 in the regular season. Four matchups. The Bucks still... Beat him up by an average of about 15 points. So, no, I do not think the Pistons are going to win tonight for a lot of different reasons. The goal now becomes uh, getting ready to face the Celtics. Now, I think in this game, you got to give Nikola Mirotic as much run as possible. And if I was Mike Budenholzer, I'd look at Nikola on the bench and I'd say, do whatever you want. Whatever you think is going to get you in the best shape and as ready as possible for the next series, which is going to be a lot more competitive, do it. If that means I put you in in the third and you take six straight threes, go to town. Go to town. Have at it. This is your game. This is your playground. Go out there and do whatever is beneficial for you to get back into a, as clean of a rhythm as possible, to get back into as, as close to game form and midseason form as possible. Go do it. I don't care. You have open reins. Take as many shots as you want from wherever you want. Whatever you think is going to be beneficial for you, go to town. Because now this is what it's become. The Bucks have one more game, and if they win tonight, which they're going to, spoiler alert, they will meet up with Boston, I believe, on Saturday. I believe. I don't know if that's official yet, but I believe that's where it'll end up. Friday or Saturday, it doesn't matter. Both of these teams are going to have a handful of days off to prepare. It becomes about getting as healthy as possible and as cohesive as possible. Because... 
when Malcolm Brogdon comes back, he's going to be healthy, but he might not fit right away. He might not be back to game shape right away. In fact, he won't be. I can say that for a fact. So now it becomes about getting Nikola Mirotic healthy, back into form, and then, of course, Malcolm Brogdon, hopefully over the next couple of days to return at some point in the second round, getting him back, getting him healthy, getting him back to form. And and if that means Nikola Mirotic shoots 10 threes tonight, just to start feeling his stroke again, go to town because I don't care. And <laughs> Coach Budenholzer shouldn't either. This game does not have to be pretty. And, and I'm not really worried about resting Giannis, about resting Middleton, about resting Bledsoe. Look, they're going to have a handful of days off. They don't need rest. Whatever whatever the Bucks need to do tonight to be as cohesive and, and as ready to go for a serious game on Saturday or Friday whenever the NBA schedules it, because I don't think, like I said, it's official yet, do it. Right? If Giannis wants to play 35 minutes to, to really get dialed in, fine, let him. If he wants to play 18, fine. Whatever's beneficial for the Bucks moving forward, because the Bucs are going to win tonight. I cannot imagine that the crowd is going to be half as loud as it was on Saturday. Because why would they be? They got other things going on. This miserable Pistons team has taken up enough of their time and energy already. And by the way, if you are a Bucks fan and you have always been a Bucks fan and you're a diehard Bucks fan, and and, and this is exciting, the thought of the Bucks winning their first play uh, their first playoff series in uh, what would it be 18 years since Allen Iverson. And Coach Brown in 2001 took him out in the Eastern Conference Finals. Since then, watch the game tonight. Sit down and watch with detail. Don't put it on as background noise. Don't cast it off because you know the Bucks are going to win, which they are. Sit down and enjoy it. I, I had a friend last week. Uh, we had plans on Wednesday night. He said, I, man, I, I can't go out. I got to watch the Bucks game. And he said, what do you mean? They're going to, the Pistons are awful. They're going to run away with it. Why do you need to watch? Because I want to, because I want to enjoy because Bucks fans, let's be real, this play, this team has been bad a lot more often than they have been even competent in the last 20, 30 years. So when they are about to win their first playoff series in 18 years, and they are the, the, actually a 60-win team for the first time in how long, sit down and enjoy it. Don't allow yourself to be bored. Don't allow yourself to not pay attention because it is uh, wrapped up, because it is. Sit down and enjoy it. It's fun. Watch the product of a really good coach who has installed a really good system. Watch the product of Giannis, the best player I think that the Bucks are ever going to be able to boast having in a number that's certainly going to be held in the roster. Watch Eric Bledsoe and his athleticism and watch Pat Connaughton off the bench because this doesn't happen very often, especially for the Milwaukee Bucks. I know they're going to win. You know they're going to win. Sit down and watch it anyways. And we can come back and talk about it tomorrow. I want to keep talking about the Bucks, And let's be real. Let's talk about the Celtics as well. Because that's the series that everybody's going to start talking about. At the instant uh, that the Bucks win tonight. And sweep the Pistons 4-0 to zero in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. We'll talk Celtics. We'll talk the looming second round matchup. And I give some thoughts. Because I think everybody has it wrong about the Celtics right now. I think the Celtics are good. I think everybody has it wrong. I'll tell you what I mean. Coming up next, we'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Presented by Played Against Sports. Right here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. So, Buck's going to be on KTY tonight. 7 o'clock game, 6.30 pregame. And you can hear the Brewers over on our sister station, WIZM. That's 1410 AM, 92.3 FM. So, they'll be over there. The Brewers uh, in action tonight. And Adrian Hauser going to make the start, as we talked about last Friday. Uh, everyone kind of expected that would be the case. So, Major League debuts are always fun. They could go one of two ways. Uh, we'll see how Hauser's goes 
tonight for the Brewers. I want to continue to talk Bucks. They're trying to win their first playoff series since 2001 when they were bested by the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals. That, of course, team had Allen Iverson and Coach Brown. Look, and I really liked what Giannis had to say. If you just moments ago heard the Wisconsin Sports Zone update with Zach Heilprin, Giannis knows that they are the one seed, and the team knows they are the one seed, and they're going to be the favorite in every series they play, but they haven't won anything. Nobody believes in the Bucks like they believe in the Celtics or that they believe possibly in the Sixers because the Bucks haven't been able to show that they can win in the playoffs since 2001. In fact, I was doing a little research because I'm, I'm only 21. I didn't really get interested in the Bucks uh, until a handful of years ago. You going back all the way to 2003, they lost to the Nets. 2004, they lost to the Pistons. 2010, they lost to the Hawks. All these series, 4-2, 4-1, 4-1, getting blown out. 2010, 4-3, they lost to the Hawks. They got swept in 2013 uh, by the Heat. Of course, that was the uh, the Bucks and Six. That's for the culture, uh, Brandon Jennings' year. 2015, they lost to the Bulls. That's when Giannis got ejected for <laughs> form tackling. Ryan, Was it Ryan Dunleavy? I believe, of the Bulls. Uh, they lost in 2017 in Game 6 against the Raptors. I was at that game, and it was heartbreaking. Very exciting game at the Bradley Center. They came back from, what, almost 30 points down, only to lose it at the end anyways. And then last year, of course, losing to the Celtics. They have not had a good run of playoff, uh, well, playoff success uh, would be putting it lightly. They haven't had a, a good run of, of really playoff anything. It's been since 2001, so tonight they're looking to win their first series since 2001, and, and it's going to happen. Look, the Pistons aren't beating them tonight. Uh, unless the Bucks announce that they're going to rest every single person on the roster uh, and they roll out the ball boys and the assistant coaches. So the Bucks looks like they're going to be playing the Celtics. Now, for some context, if, if you don't follow the NBA closely, uh, and maybe you just watch the Bucks, or maybe you don't follow the NBA closely at all, so maybe you're, you don't know the Bucks very well and let alone know the Celtics, let me provide some context. So the Celtics had an up-and-down regular season. They were always talented and deep enough to win games, but they were questioned all season long about their chemistry, uh, about did Kyrie Irving actually like the rest of the team, and then they actually win more games without Kyrie Irving. They, they, they're tremendous without Kyrie Irving, and Kyrie Irving's their best player. Uh, he's averaging 23.8 games right now, 23.8 points right now, and if you've watched him in the playoffs, he has taken over. He's been the closer that they've needed, and it's interesting. They swept the Pistons, right? Now, the Pistons are an excellent team with a lot of good role players, and Victor Oladipo, who is their star, their all-star. I don't know if you can put him in the superstar tier, but he is a guy who can just go get a bucket. He's a next-level player, however you want to define him. Now, he got hurt earlier this year, so they're without him, but the Pistons held, or the not the Pistons, the Pacers held their ground, only slipping to the, the five seed when everybody kind of half expected him to fall down into seven or eight or even out of the postseason picture. That wasn't the, the case. But, but Boston swept them, okay? And here are the final scores. 84-74 in game one. Imagine only scoring 70 points in an NBA game. 84-74, the, the, the Celtics won at home. Then they beat them 99-91 at home. And they go to Indiana. They win 104-96. And then they close out in game four, uh, which was Saturday? It was that on Sunday? Doesn't matter. Uh, the Celtics won 110-106 to close out the series in four and complete the sweep. And the takeaway was Boston's back. All the, all the struggles they had in the regular season, forget about it. This is playoff Boston. Kyrie Irving's here to take over. Their woes are gone. Their struggles are gone. And they're ready to fulfill everyone's pick, which it was a very popular pick at the beginning of the year, to go to the NBA Finals. Some people even saying they're going to beat Golden State. This team is going to be incredible. Well, they never really got off the ground. Now, in the NBA, eight teams from each conference make the playoffs, and there's a lot of bad teams at the bottom to feast on. So it, 
the Celtics had a bad series or bad season, regular season, for their talent and, and for their expectations, but they still ended up in the four seed, and here they are in the second round after a first-round sweep, and everybody's saying, they're back, watch out for the Celtics. They're now going to the finals. They have proven that they can flip a switch, that they can put their chemistry issues behind them, and, and they can just play ball, and they can go out there and beat anybody. The Bucks are screwed, as is the rest of these, because here comes Boston back to the NBA Finals. That That might be true. Like, that might turn out to be true. Don't get me wrong. But people are overreacting. Right, Boston and, and, and Milwaukee might go six or seven games, and Boston might upset them. I'm, I'm not saying that's not a possibility, but to act like those four games were validation, that sweep, those four wins of Indiana, to act like that was validation that the Celtics now have it all put together is asinine, okay? Look, I like the Pacers. I think they're incredibly hard-nosed, and they're very well-coached, and they're a fundamentally sound team, and I like... Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, and I like DeMontis Sabonis. And I look, I like that team, but they don't have the guy. Everyone in the Eastern Conference has the guy, right? The Raptors have Kawhi Leonard. The Sixers have more than one guy. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick. They have a lot of guys who can get hot. Boston has Kyrie Irving, who might be the best closer in the NBA. M- Milwaukee has Giannis. Right, you even go down to the bottom of the conference. At least the the Pistons have Blake Griffin. At least the the the, the Magic have uh, Nikola Vukovic or, or Vukovic, however you say it. They have him. Everybody has a guy. The Pacers don't have that guy. You're telling me that if you put Victor or Oladipo on that Boston team, that they couldn't scrounge out 10 extra points to win in game one or eight extra points to win in game two or eight extra points to win in game three. They only lost by four in game four to lose. You're telling me? Look, I everybody's happy that Boston is now good and, and, and taking the rifle place in the playoffs and everybody wants to see Boston because rich in history and everybody picked him. Yeah, I get it. But let's calm down. If you want to pick Boston to beat Milwaukee, that's fine. But don't use that series as justification. Are you kidding me? You put Victor Oladipo on that on that floor for those four games. That series is still going on. You could argue that just looking at those four games, that the, that the Pacers would have won three, if not four. They were without the closer. They were without the guy who could go and get a bucket. So is there are there... A chance, there's some odds that Boston could upset Milwaukee, yeah. And obviously, as a fan, I'm always going to worry. And, and I think the the Bucks could be vulnerable because I think Boston's very well coached and Kyrie Irving is just something else. But to act like Boston is now going to run through the East because they beat the Pacers in four, get out of here. Now, if you want to give me other justification, you want to make another argument on why Boston might win, sure, let's talk about it. It's the NBA playoffs, and Boston is a very good, very well-coached team with a lot of talent. But don't use that series as your reasoning. That's lazy. That's dumb. That's pathetic. And I guess that's what the national talking heads are nowadays. Bucks could lose. I st- I-, I think they'll beat the Celtics. I'm optimistic. But let's not act like beating the fa- the Pacers four times uh, by 10 points or less every single game is-, is validation that the Celtics are back. That's absurd. Bucks hope to close it out. You can hear the game four on WK2I tonight. Brewers on our sister station, WIZM, 92.3 FM, 1410 AM. Enjoy tonight's action. Enjoy the Bucks winning their first series since 2001. We'll be back to talk about it tomorrow. I can't wait.